that time again when we take two guys who think they know everything about science, place them in a bar and let them loose with a microphone. Welcome to the Beer Drinking Scientists. Let's hear what the boys are up to this month. Well, they said it wouldn't happen, but the beer drinking scientists are back. It's been two and a half years hiatus since Darren and I got together to talk all things science over a beer. And Darren, you've been breeding in the meantime, I think. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, well, in the, while you were away uh, sunning yourself in, in the British Isles, a little one arrived in my life. So, yeah, it keeps me busy these days. And maybe one day we'll, we could uh, discuss the... Uh, issues surrounding parenting and conception and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I don't know, it could be a very interesting show, but no, it's good to be back and uh, hopefully over the next half an hour we might uh, enlighten you again with some of our uh, musings on science. Well, Darren's right, yes, I've been swanning around the UK. Uh, our past such shows were on uh, cloning and also climate change, and climate change has been a massive issue recently actually, especially in Australia. We might have to address that topic uh, again sometime in the future, but today's topic we're going to talk about extraterrestrial life. We're going to talk about intelligent life that may or may not exist out there, microbial, bacterial life, UFOs, everything to do with extraterrestrial life. Well, I guess the first question to ask then, Darren, is do you think there's extraterrestrial life out there? That's a very good question, Mark, and one that there's probably no real answer to. But you're asking what I think. Uh, my answer would be yes, I think there is extraterrestrial life out there because it's a, it's a bloody big universe. And we're just a small part of it, a small bit player, and you know, there are many, many stars in our galaxy and there are many galaxies in the universe. So you know, the odds say that, we sh that there, there, there could be other life out there. But then, who knows, I mean, maybe we're just one of those freak chances um, in, in, in nature that uh, somehow created what we are. Or maybe there is some, you know, super being that, that has created um, us and, and, and created this backdrop that is the universe that surrounds us all. So uh, my, my gut feeling is yes, but if the answer was no, well, I wouldn't be surprised. What about yourself? Well, it's a good question. I guess there's a difference between just any old extraterrestrial life and intelligent life. I'd find it hard to believe that we're the only life of any kind in the universe, simply because the universe is so big. We're finding more and more Earth-like planets every day, planets with water, planets with oxygen. There's planets and moons of Jupiter in, uh, in our solar system that quite possibly, most probably, have liquid water. So I think that the chances of extraterrestrial life at all are probably high, I guess. But uh, intelligent life is the, is the bigger question. There's always that question, if there is intelligent life out there, why haven't we seen it? I think this is the Fermi paradox. Surely if there's intelligent life out there, we would have seen it by now, unless we're the first intelligent life forms to arise in the universe, which would have a minute probability. What do you think of this idea? Well, yeah, I mean, as you say, the Fermi paradox would suggest that if there is, we've been contacted. But as I said in the in uh, earlier on, you know, it is a very big universe. Um, and, and even to, you know, the nearest star from us is, is 4.2 4 light years away. And we don't, we don't believe there are any planets around that one. I, I don't know off the top of my head where the nearest sort of exoplanets are. Um, but, you know, maybe if there is intelligent life, it is spread pretty thinly. And therefore it is... Uh, even 
physically difficult for us to contact each other, let alone travel to each other. So, I mean, that could be that could be one reason. As you say, it could be also that we are the first ones to have come about because um, the universe is only about 13 billion years old, um, and you know the stars that 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 are similar to ours are only sort of recent in their in their formation. They they, they didn't start after the Big Bang and certainly weren't the first group of stars that started. So, you know, maybe we are the beginning of what could be a proliferation of life throughout the universe. I, I mean, certainly there's there's been a lot of effort in the last 50 years trying to see if there are other signs of life out there, um, even though we can't get to it and maybe it, has, it can't get to us. Um, there's been a lot of research and work in the area of SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, where you know they use those radio antennas around the world. Um, if you haven't seen the film Contact, that's probably a film worth watching to get an idea of what SETI is all about. Yeah, and we've been listening for those signals that might come from intelligent or unintelligent worlds uh, that, that that are being emitted. But you know, I mean, that's really a needle in a haystack sort of proposition. I mean, you're scanning hundreds of thousands of different radio frequencies pointing in, in massive different, you know, a huge number of different points in the sky at different objects and that. I mean, the chances of picking up something are pretty small, but I mean, there have been some interesting findings in the past, haven't there? There have been. There was the, the very famous wow signal, which was uh, picked up at Ohio State University, which was a 37 second long signal which uh, was so startling that the astronomer who was monitoring it at the time wrote "Wow" next to it on the side of the uh, on the side of the printout, and it's never actually been explained this particular "Wow" signal. Uh, and you're right; there are you know infinite number of wavelengths of in the electromagnetic spectrum that we could be looking at. I think one of the things that SETI is doing is looking at uh, what, what's called the waterhole. I was speaking to Dr. Carol Oliver from the Australian Centre for Astrobiology recently about the waterhole. And the waterhole is a, a piece in the electromagnetic spectrum between emission lines of hydrogen and the hydroxyl ion. And combined, these two make water, and water is considered to be elemental for life. It's considered to be necessary for life. So if there's going to be anywhere in the spectrum that aliens or extraterrestrial life may emit, it may be in this waterhole. It's also very quiet in this spectrum. Uh, with regards to noise from outer space. But why listen to me? Let's have a listen to what Carol had to say about this. It happens that there's a, a space in the uh, radio spectrum where noise from the rest of the universe drops to the minimum level. Uh, and it's between two molecules, the H line and the OH line. And if you put those two together, you get water. Um, and so it's called the water hole. And it's assumed that we would actually find um, a message from uh, extraterrestrial intelligence at that point, because it would be the same for anybody in the universe. Uh, if you're going to transmit, you're going to transmit at the, the quietest part of the spectrum. But even then, I mean, there's billions of frequencies that we could be looking for. So really, SETI is a sort of a nine-dimensional search. It's uh, three times in space, up, down, and um, across. Uh, time, frequency, polarization, there's two of those, uh, modulation and transmitted power. So it truly is looking for a needle in a haystack. That's right. Yes, indeed. And we uh, really can't, I think, rely on just a directed message uh, to Earth, which we're reliant on at the moment. moment. Um, but uh, if you can imagine that in the past 70 years we've been transmitting television and radio signals in, it, do they just leak naturally into space? 
uh, if we could t- detect those, uh, then uh, we may be able to detect uh, intelligence elsewhere in the universe. Okay, so it's all very well and good to think about, you know, the search for intelligent life out there. But I I think before you can even consider whether there's intelligent life there, you have to find some form of life. And and I think that's the real kicker for me, is that the day that they find a form of life, and it can be as small as a microbe, that's when you start to open the door to the possibility that there is life throughout the universe. Because if you can't find that microbe, then the chances of finding anything are pretty remote. And I think that's where the focus turns to, to our own solar system, where there's been uh, you know, a number of uh, spacecraft that have been sent throughout our solar system looking for signs um, of current or past forms of microbial life. And some of those desti- most likely destinations um, seem to be Mars, uh, the uh, Jovian moon Europa, and also uh, Saturn's moon um, Titan. I mean, there's a few other candidates there as well, but they're, they're the big three, I think, that where they're looking for. And, and in, in recent times, um, I think the, the Mars Phoenix lander back in 2008 landed near the North Pole of Mars. Um, it found uh, the presence of water in the form of ice underneath the surface, and that certainly has piqued the interest of, uh, of, uh, of astronomers and astrobiologists um, and so forth, because as you said earlier on, uh, without water there's the presumption that there is no life in the universe. So, um, yeah, it's, it's still a long way from finding a microbe, but if you can find water, um, which they have done in, in that location and possibly in a few other locations in the, in the uh, solar system, then um, you're on the right path. Well, there was a recent, uh, well, not so recent, but in 96 they discovered, well, NASA controversially announced that they had found what appeared to be fossilised microbes in a lump of Martian rock, which was found in Antarctica. Not long after that, it was said, no, no, these are just natural processes. Uh, Mars had liquid water. Uh, This is just caused by the presence of liquid water, Uh, not by life. But actually, just recently, in the last week or so, a few people have come out saying that, no, actually, this is evidence of life once being on Mars, which is really interesting. But it shows that there's... There's, there's quite a lot of debate here. It's not that clear-cut at the moment un- until we find a bit of moss growing on a rock whether or not there is or was life on Mars. And, and actually there's been a, a recent development in that particular rock because um, just uh, this week uh, a paper was published. Um, I can't remember the, the name of the journal. Um, it's not one of the major ones like in the case of 96 when it was published, I think, in Nature. Um, but that same rock uh, and the same researchers have found that uh, what, what they've essentially been trying to do is look at the, the geological explanations for those, um, for those traces and they've been able to eliminate one of them. So they're, they're still working today to try and strengthen their case uh, with that particular sample, ALH84001, um, to, uh, to <laughs> yeah, you remember it quite well, <laughs> uh, to work out w- whether it is, it is a, a natural, um, you know, come from, from a biological life form or a geological one. And, I mean, there's still a debate, too, um, uh, even on Earth, you know, trying to work out what were the earliest life forms on Earth. And uh, Malcolm Walter, who's also from the Australian Centre for Astrobiology, um, I mean, he's it present him and a number of colleagues have presented evidence of you know of similar life forms found in in Earth 
rocks from uh, the Pilbara and from Canada, some of the sources of the oldest rocks on the, on our planet, and, and suggested they're, they're uh, biological in origin. But there's been counter evidence from researchers, um, I can't remember his name, from the University of, uh, from Curtin University in Perth, um, showing that you no, know, you can have chemical processes that create very similar um, uh, relics. You know, these twisted chains that look like maybe DNA or look like you know nanobacteria. So the jury is still out, even here on Earth, as to what what are microbial life forms and traces thereof. I guess when you trace life back to its chemical origins, it's quite difficult to tell the difference between what is a chemical uh, reaction and what is a, a biological process. Back, if you, if you trace it back, there's there's little difference. I guess at some point there's some spark of life. I'm not sure what the the current definition of life is even. Well, I mean, when you spoke to Carol uh, recently, and, and, and maybe we should bring her back in in this, you know, talking about the idea of going from RNA to DNA and, and even the steps leading up to that, um, we still don't know what is life, as you say, and, and whether life can be created from inorganic compounds. And that there was an experiment back in, was it the 1950s or 1960s? I can't remember the name of the person um, exactly who it was, um, but you know, it took a, a glass flask, filled it with you know what they thought was the primordial or um, you know very early Earth's atmosphere, put in a few uh, chemicals, and uh, claimed to have created some sort of organic compounds. Um, now that experiment hasn't really been replicated since, I don't think. But uh, certainly the question of how do you get from the inorganic to the organic is one that scientists still are trying to answer today. How does life form? Um, we're beginning to get ideas about how, how life did evolve out of lifeless chemicals uh, and that it can do that as soon as the conditions are right on a planet. Um, but we just don't understand the complete processes and we still cannot uh, replicate DNA even though we know it intimately well. Because mm, it, it's a highly complex it is. chemical. It is. It is. And so it's RNA, and we were in an, uh, probably in an RNA world before um, the DNA world. But, yes, it's very complex, even for single-celled organis organisms that have ruled the, life, uh, ruled, sorry, ruled the planet for much of its life. I mean, up until 600 million years ago, that's all that was on um, planet Earth, microbes. Well, you've just suggested the primordial soup that existed on the early Earth. Astronomers now think that Titan may actually hold uh, the primordial soup. It's got an atmosphere which is very highly concentrated in nitrogen, and it's the only planet or heavenly body that we know of, apart from Earth, that actually has bodies of, bodies of liquid. Now, these liquids that are on Titan are hydrocarbons, so they're liquid at uh, a much colder temperature than, than what water is, because water would freeze. Uh, but we're talking methane and ethane. And they think that this combination of hydrocarbons and the organic world that exists on Titan may actually be very similar to the early Earth and, and could actually be a home for microbial life. So maybe we've got a little proto-Earth in our own solar system where we might find microbial life. Europa is another option within our solar system. They think it might have a, a subsurface ocean. Now Europa is actually a long way from the sun, but it's... They think that the, the gravitational pull of, of Jupiter might be tugging on Europa so much, so much friction is induced in the planet that it actually keeps the subsurface liquid. So there's a, a frozen ice layer on top of the surface, but underneath that there might be actually a liquid ocean. 
so maybe we should send some probes to Europa. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, it's all very good to postulate these things, but you, you've got to go there. You've got to, you've got to sample. And um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I think NASA and, and the European Space Agency have announced that that is the next target to go to Europa. I think Gammamede is also is another remote candidate. But once again, I mean, it's a bit like the search for SETI, isn't it? I mean, you, you, you're scanning across you know, a huge number of frequencies, trying to find a signal that might appear at the exact time and in the same direction. Sending these probes, you know, onto a, onto a world that is larger than our moon. I mean, um, you know, it's like you know, sending, s s dropping something onto Australia, for example, and, and hoping that you might find, oh, I don't know, um, might, might find a $1 coin, you know. It, it depends on where you drop it. You, know, you drop in the Simpson Desert where you're highly unlikely to find it. You drop in the middle of the Sydney, well, you know, bingo, you might find it. Um, particularly if you can find my wallet, which seems to have gone walkabout. But, uh, so, I mean, that's looking at planets with our own solar system. What about planets outside? What, I mean, you, you've, you've kept your ear to the ground on, on what's happening in the world of exoplanet searching. What have you found for us, Mark? Over the last month, actually, the Ultimo Science Festival in Sydney ran the Hello from Earth project in which uh, people were invited on the internet to send messages, so 140 characters, to the planet Gliese 581c, which is uh, an exoplanet which has been discovered outside of this solar system. And the Kepler mission has recently gone up, and the Kepler mission is uh, a project which is to search, uh, particularly for extrasolar planets. So to search for planets outside of this solar system and within our galaxy. Now the holy grail of this of course is to discover Earth-like planets. So planets that are in what, what's called the Goldilocks zone around their, around their suns. So where it's possible that water can exist as a liquid. It's considered that water is necessary for life but it's not necessarily considered that you need oxygen. Life has been discovered at the, at the bottom of the ocean. You can have anaerobic life. Uh, but water it is considered to be essential. So planets in this Goldilocks zone, this is what Kepler is after. And this leads us to uh, what's known as the Drake equation. If we look at the various elements that are considered necessary for life, you can divide it into its various parts. So you've got the, the rate of formation of stars, you've got the fraction of those stars that are orbited by planets, you've got the number of Earth-like uh, worlds that are in this particular planetary system, you've got the, the fraction of those planets where you might get intelligent life, you've got the fraction of those planets where the life might actually communicate using the electromagnetic spectrum and then you've got the lifetime of these possible civilizations so how long they will be emitting in the electromagnetic spectrum before they perhaps destroy themselves or before they evolve beyond that form of communication and all these elements come together to form what is known as the Drake equation which is sort of this way of mashing together all these ideas to come up with some probability that we will discover intelligent life on another planet Here's what Carol had to say about that. Well, we're slowly adding numbers to that Drake equation, but I think the really important thing to remember about that equation was that it's a shopping list of what we need to know to, to try to find intelligence elsewhere in the universe. Well, of course, the Drake equation misses one factor, and that's the stupid factor. I mean, it doesn't sort of take into account, you know, how stupid uh, civilization is to wipe itself out. Well, maybe I missed that, that factor. I'm not too sure. 
whether that's through global warming or nuclear war, I'm not too sure. But um, on the subject of, 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 of bordering on stupidity um, is, 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 is something called UFOs. Now, I mean, we talked about earlier, you know, why hasn't um, uh, intelligent life uh, contacted us? And, and there are many out there who probably think it has, you know, in the form of unidentified flying objects. Now, the first thing I, I find interesting is that um, we've only been visited by these so-called intelligent beings since about 1940s, since World War II. It's quite interesting they waited until after then to... to maybe, maybe it might have coincided with the fact that, you know, television was, was being beamed out there and they thought we were ridiculous enough to come and visit. Um, the other thing I find interesting is that they seem intent on, on not only probing us um, in, in certain cavities, um, but they also seem to enjoy tipping over our cattle and then slicing them open um, and leaving um, graffiti on our cornfields afterwards. So uh, what are your thoughts, Mark, on, on UFOs and, and being visited by those from other worlds? Well, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Darren, but when I was about five, I swear to you that I saw an alien in my room. Uh, I've since been able to explain it through other means, but uh, when I was about five, I, I looked up at, at the chandelier or the, the sort of the, the light fitting in my room, and I swear I saw an alien head. It came not long after I saw ET, so that was probably a you know a coincidence, perhaps. Uh, but I've, I've since, since explained it through sleep paralysis, which is kind of where you half wake up and you have some half consciousness and you, uh, you know, often feel this presence in the room. This is a topic for another day. Uh, I also thought I saw aliens when I was camping at Devil's Marbles in the centre of Australia. I was looking at the sky, looking at these particular stars, and then they started moving around in an impossible fashion. Now, it could have been an atmospheric effect, who knows? It looked like they were dogfighting. It was the strangest thing I've ever seen, these two points in the sky moving around. The next day we went just a little bit north and went to Wycliffe Well, which is the alien capital of Australia. They market themselves as, as pretty much the Area 51 of Australia. They don't market them too well because nobody's actually ever heard of them before. Uh, but there are a few alien stories up there. It's also quite close to the American military base at Pine Gap. So who knows what's going on up there? Uh, no, I don't believe we've been visited by aliens, but I can see how psychologically one might be inclined to think as much. I've never been probed either. <laughs> No, I, I haven't been. Not by an alien, anyway. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, I agree with you. I, I really don't think we have. I, th I think it's more likely that if we are going to be visited by alien life forms, I think they're going to let us know, and it's going to be one of either two scenarios. I think it's going to be the sort of, you know, the day the world stood still, where they'll sort of, you know, come, kind of peacefully come along, maybe with some big robot and will stand guard at the flying saucer while we then whisk away the other dude and, and probe him instead in a hospital. Um, you know, if you haven't seen that film, it's a good one to check out. Um, or I'm thinking it's probably more the a la Will Smith Independence Day where they're just going to blow the crap out of us um, and take over. Or maybe it might be a little more subtle like V. I don't know if you remember that. that that's a series from the 1980s. I think they're going to do a remake of it where they sort of make friends with us while they're actually stealing us for food and taking our water from our planet to suck us dry um, and don't let us know their true intentions until the very end. Uh, you know, it could be one of those three possible scenarios. So I think the idea that they're going to come down and just, you know, steal the odd person, um, usually a fat American, um, and probe them, um, or slaughter cattle, I think is, is a bit far-fetched. So at the moment, uh, like with all, all of this discussion, I, I think at the moment we're feeling pretty alone. I was actually watching uh, the Mel Gibson movie Signs the other night as a bit of documentary research, and uh, I don't think that aliens are going to come down like that. Any alien that can master intergalactic travel is not going to get locked in a cupboard and is not going to choose a planet where the oceans are made out of water where water burns them yeah. 
and, and I think any intelligent alien, like you say, is not going to get locked in a cupboard and they're probably going to make sure they've got cell coverage rather than try and phone home from a phone box. You know, I mean, really, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? But we diverge, we go into other... So I think in summing up, um, where, where do we see ourselves in the world? Are we alone, Mark? I would be pretty confident in saying that there is other life in the universe. There is something else in the universe that can self-replicate. Whether or not it's intelligent life remains to be seen. The other option is that we're all inside a simulation, Matrix style. You've been watching too much Star Trek there, Mark. I'm thinking I've got visions of the Borg, you know, that, that sort of thing that swallows up different life forms and it becomes all part of one big computer. Um, I'd hate to think that that was the case, but um, or, or the other thing is maybe we are, as you say, part of the Truman Show and, and that really I'm the only one that's here and that you're some bit player, some two-bit B-grade actor doing a pretty good job by the way uh, you know and that uh, everyone else is playing a game around me and that we've all got our own little parallel universes kind of freaks me out now I feel like I need another beer well why don't we take our Oscar winning performances to the people and see what they've got to say about extraterrestrial life So I was just wondering, do you think that there is life out there? Absolutely. I've seen a UFO and a lot of people never believed me when I've told them. I only told a few people and they think I'm crazy. But yeah, I saw a UFO one night. Freaked the hell out of me. <laughs> so where, where did you encounter this, this uh, UFO and can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, I was living not far from Blacktown. I was doing my HSC and um, lived around the corner from this big lookout. So I just went and had a cigarette break from studying and stuff. And all of a sudden, like, all the lights went out around the town and got really freaky, and I looked up in the sky, and there was this huge flying saucer with, you know, the lights going around the circumference, just like you see in the movies, you know, it was outrageous. And, of course, I was a little bit panicky and started running home down the hill around the corner, and the UFO was sort of flying through the air. And where I lived, a little flat above the garage, so I sat out on the steps for about 10 minutes, and this is where you're going to think I'm really nuts, is it spat out a baby ship. And um, I'd only wished that I'd had a camera or something on the night, and um, the ship sort of looked like it was flying towards the house. God knows how far away it was, you know. Anyway, I went to bed that night, the radio wasn't working properly, the TV was flickering, the lights were not working, and... So I sort of hid under the covers and actually wrote a note to my mother saying if I'm not here in the morning I've been abducted by aliens because <laughs> I really thought I was a goner. <laughs> anyway, I woke up, it was alright, nothing happened, there were no green men in my flat, but um, yeah, true story. And, and what do people say to you? You, you, you mentioned that people don't believe you, What's, what, how do they react when you tell them the story? Oh, they asked me, you know, if I was on drugs or anything, but I didn't even really know what a lot of stuff was back then. I was pretty innocent as far as that stuff goes, so totally sober. Black coffee, cigarettes, that was it, yeah, but people just think I was making it up or <laughs> having, a, having a joke with them, but no, dead set true. But I'm not sure if anyone else saw it that night. I, they looked up the sky, they couldn't have missed it for the world. <laughs> so you're firmly in the yes category to is there alien life out there? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very much. May the force be with you. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if there's anything out there, but you'd like to hope that we're not the smartest uh, creatures in the universe because um, we don't seem to be doing a, a very good job of managing our own planet, so hopefully someone else can do a better job. 
Do you believe, do you believe that uh, we've been visited? Do you believe in the idea of UFOs and, and aliens that have come to visit planet Earth? Uh, I think there's too many things uh, that have happened on Earth, like uh, that people can't determine you know, how ancient uh, civilizations could construct things the way they did, pyramids and uh, the Incans. So, yeah, I'd say so. You. you don't think the world's going to end in 2012 then, like the Incas did? Uh, I don't know. I saw that movie a couple of weeks ago, and um, yeah, it didn't look it didn't look um, it didn't look promising. So I hope not, because I'll still be alive then. Well, it wasn't a documentary, I don't think. But yeah. oh, no, well, let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. All right. So, do you believe that there's life beyond Earth? Uh, yeah, I probably think that there must be something else existing, but I don't know uh, what kind of form or how intelligent or how active they are in the whole solar system. Uh, what about the thought about UFOs that we've been visited? Do you, do you think that that's all made up or is there a chance that we could be being visited? I think a lot of people would like to believe that so I guess that's enough for them. I'm not really yeah, positive. So you've never seen a UFO yourself? No, no, not, not yet. Not yet. There's time. Do you believe in uh, UFOs and alien life? Um, I've never really thought about it, but I guess, well, where did we come from, really? There has to be something else out there before us, and I reckon after us as well, so I'm sure there would be something there. Uh, if you look into the sky and you see a star, it's generally a sun, um, which will have a galaxy around it, and we're too small, you know, we can't even fathom how large the universe is, and yeah, definitely life out there. Mm -hmm. What about the, uh, the idea of UFOs, that UFOs with aliens have come and visited us? Do you, do you support that idea? Uh, possibly. Um, you know, are we an experiment? You know, was Jesus an alien? I haven't thought of that idea before. <laughs> yeah. and, and do you think it's worth... You know, I mean, there, there are some uh, who are critical of searches for extraterrestrial life, whether it be you know, using radio telescopes listening out for aliens or sending spacecraft out to Mars to search for life. I mean, is it a waste of time or should we continue doing it? Well, it's out there, you got to have a look. And we finish up with these famous words from Carl Sagan. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I'm Darren Osborne. And I'm Mark West. And we are the Beer Drinking Scientists.